to Behind the Crime. I'm Ella Calora. I'm Rebecca Wood. And we are students here at Susquehanna University. I have a major in broadcasting and a minor in photography. I have a major in journalism and digital content and a minor in publishing and editing. And this is our podcast. Our first episode. Yeah, our first episode of Behind the Crime, a true crime podcast. Mm -hmm. We'll be posting about every other week. Yep. Um, we'll be talking about cases ranging from murders to disappearances to theft. Literally anything, yeah, honestly. anything. We're avid true crime fans, and we are really excited to have this opportunity to do this. Yeah, and I mean, I've wanted to have a true crime podcast since I've started listening to them. Honestly, I, just, I think I my dream them. job, like, for like as my career, I would love to have a podcast, specifically yeah. about true crime, but I would just love to have a podcast about anything, honestly, because yeah. I just think there's just so much that goes into it, and it's just, like, it's work and effort, but it is so fun, truthfully. Yeah, and I, I've been listening to true crime stuff for, like, the longest time, so this is just a really big thing. Yeah, she's been listening since uh, too young of an age. Yeah, it's it's been, like, 10 years. I'm 19, I think like yeah I mean I, honestly I'd say the crazy. same thing but like we also both have older siblings so I feel like that kind of contributes to us being yeah. like oh we're old enough <laughs> yeah my dad got me into it at a young age and, you know here I am here we are <laughs> true crime podcast uh today we're gonna be talking about some medical crimes medical malpractice even oh you may that should be the name it is on my doc oh <laughs> <laughs> I was not informed all right, so I'm going first this week. Yeah, let's start with yours. Okay, so my case is about Charles Cullen, who was a nurse who murdered dozens, if not hundreds, of patients within a six-year period. Um, this was within the New Jersey and PA medical centers. So... We'll do a little background on Charles first. A little disclaimer, this case is huge and there's way too much information for me to cover in just 10-15 minutes. So I will say it now and I will say it at the end again. Netflix both has a movie and a documentary on Charles Cullen. The movie is called The Good Nurse and the documentary is called Capturing the Killer Nurse. I mm. have watched the documentary it was very good. I've watched it twice now. I think I watched the movie. Did you? Yeah. I've never seen the movie, but I've seen the documentary twice, and they do a really good job with it, so please go watch that. This is just going to be bullet points version because there is a lot that goes into My this case. My case is the same way. There's just so much. Yeah, there's I just I think it's because many. how many victims there are in yes. both cases. Yeah, so that's the other thing. I won't be talking about specific victims a lot. I'm just simply going to go over what he did um and what he was sentenced and how they found out that he was doing this and how he was doing it for a really long time so charles was born in 1960 in west orange county in new jersey uh he, oh wow yeah i didn't know it was there yeah so <laughs> it was in new jersey and a little bit in pennsylvania but mostly in new jersey um he had a rough childhood. His father died when he was a baby. His mom died when he was 17. And then he didn't have, like, any parental figure after that. So he joined the Navy and was discharged within a few years because of a suicide attempt, which was actually his second. His first oh was when he was nine years old. Um, 
He then began medical training at Northside School of Nursing. He got his first job at St. Bamba's Medical Center in Livingston um, in 1987. This was a year before his first murder. So he went into the medical field, he got his first job, and then a year later in 1988 was his first murder that... The timeline is sketchy because there was so many murders. Mm. It was his first murder that authorities can for sure say yeah, that he did. Like that they're aware of. Yeah. So that was in 1988. And after that, he spent between 1988 and 2003, he was bouncing from hospital to hospital. He wound up working at nine different hospitals and one nursing home. Mm. So then in 2000, early 2002, he got a job at Somerset Medical Center in New Jersey. And he was working there for about a year, so now it's 2003. And at this point, a couple of the other hospitals, this is where it becomes very hard to explain because Mm. there's so much that goes into this. A couple of the other hospitals that he was at had realized that something weird was going on. Mm-hmm. Like something was off. Involving him. But once they realized that, they would just pass him on to the next hospital. Right, because that fixes the problem. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, it's fine. We might have this guy who's murdering Not our, our problem patients, anymore. But it's not our problem anymore, exactly. So... In 2003, he was at Somerset Medical Center, and this is when police really started connecting the dots. So a nurse, um, only going by the name of Mary, called the Somerset Center for Disease Control, Mm -hmm. or Poison Control, sorry, Poison Control, and she was asking about this drug called digoxin, which is a it's actually a heart medication, and it increases mm. your heart rate. Um, but if you have too much of it, it can kill you. It will kill you. Mm-hmm. So a nurse was calling about that because their labs lab results kept coming back weird. And the poison control um, guy, I don't remember his name, he started asking other questions if people had come back with low blood pressure and stuff like that and she told him that they actually had a couple weird cases of that happening and they couldn't figure it out and he told her straight up I think you have a murderer on your hands I think someone in your hospital is giving patients Mm -hmm. like the wrong dose of drugs on purpose wow So she was like, okay, let me, you know, bring this up to the hospital. And he, this guy from Poison Control, over the next three months, continued to call back. And after that, he would always get a higher up authority. And they would always dismiss him. They would say, there's nothing wrong going on here. We can't disclose any more information. It's gone to the board of the hospital. Um, please stop calling. But he continued to call because... Well, yeah, how could you forget he, about that? Yeah, he was given this information and he knew. So then 
when the authorities became involved, the New Jersey authorities went to Somerset and on a case of a suspicious death. It was actually a reverend that led them, Mm. that he just mysteriously died, and his sister called the authorities and said, there's something up. So Mm. they went to Somerset, and they talked to um, the board there, and they were like, we can give you the information. There has been weird things going on. We'll give you – we did an internal investigation, they said. So the pl- the authorities were like, okay, great, just send that over. And the next day they were expecting all this information, and what they were given was two pieces of paper. And the oh only – it it was a bunch of, like, nonsense, but they did put Charles Cullen's name on it. Mm-hmm. So the authorities just decided to do a background check on him, and it came up that he had a drunk driving – uh, charge in Palmer and so they called the Palmer police and as they pulled the file there was a sticky note on it and it had a detective's name from the Pennsylvania State Police and oh. only like a few months later the Pennsylvania State Police had called requesting the same information hmm. so then the New Jersey police were like well what what happened in Pennsylvania did they want the information so they got in contact with the Pennsylvania State Police and they told them that they were investigating him because of an incident at another hospital in Pennsylvania I believe it was a St. Luke's campus actually and Mm -hmm. they had noticed something wrong in Mm -hmm. uh, their lab results and they thought that they thought that someone was just stealing drugs but the hospital wasn't giving them all the information. Mm. Um, so then the authorities started doing interviews with all of the Somerset medical staff that worked with him. And as they were talking to all of them, they all didn't want to say anything because they also had um, one of the board members from Somerset sitting in the room. None of them wanted to be fired, obviously. Mm. Um, so, but a bunch of them said, you should talk to this nurse called Amy Lungren. And they told the police that she was really close with Charles. You should talk to her. So they finally talked to her. Um, Amy Lungren is her name. And they were actually able to get the administrative staff that was there out of the room and the detectives the detective that was in the room he even said in an interview that he really felt like this was his only way of getting information and he showed her the evidence that they had which was the log of their it's they call it kind of like a medical like a drug cash register Mm -hmm. that the nurses have access to all the drugs are stored in and they scan their id and put in the name of the drug that they need for a patient yeah and keep track of who's taking what and when how much so they had that log and it obviously showed that charles was taking out unnecessary drugs so how did they not put that together themselves well the hospital did but they didn't want to deal with it the hospital saw the same evidence. But so that's just such a serious thing to sweep under the rug. Like, Yeah. And he was at nine other hospitals, and I don't believe all of them 
realize the same thing, mm-hmm. but a lot of them did and just would pass him on. So they showed that to Amy, and she, because at first she wanted to defend him because they were really close friends. And in the documentary, they actually, they have her, and she, she talks about it. She was very open and honest that they were very close friends. Mm-hmm. And she said that she never noticed any of it but after they showed her that she and it was obvious to her that he was doing something bad she started realizing that she did sometimes notice that he would have medicines that weren't necessary to Mm -hmm. have and he would be in random patients rooms that weren't his and stuff like that and she said that even one time this patient was um, coding, which basically means they're dying. Mm. And she went running into the room, and he was already there. And mm. I don't remember the name of the drug that he gave the patient, but she was a little confused on why he gave it to the patient. And then the the nurse that of the patient came in, and apparently the drug that he had given this patient patient was allergic to it oh my god and amy like backed up charles because she didn't think it was his fault at the time she didn't realize it was a mistake yes so then she starts realizing a bunch of stuff like that and she realizes that he she probably felt so awful too yes she says that in the interview that Mm -hmm. she felt so bad that she didn't realize it sooner but once she found out she helped the police a lot she even went Mm -hmm. And met Charles um, at a restaurant, and she was wired to try to get a confession. (laughs) And um, she actually did get one, but the wire cut out, like, right before. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. So they finally got... That still gave them, though, enough evidence. Mm -hmm. Like, the conversation leading up to the actual confession gave them enough evidence that they were able to arrest him in 2003 and when he was arrested and through the whole trial he claimed that they were mercy killings which basically means he thought that he was you know saving them and Mm -hmm. like relieving them of their pain when in reality a lot of the patients that he killed were getting better and a lot of them were about to be released actually and some Mm. of them did have terminal illnesses but again doesn't make it right because he robbed the families of the rest of their time with yeah they didn't say goodbye even a lot of times with terminal illnesses you at least have a time period of okay today's the day let's go visit them you know yeah but a lot of them were they didn't have terminal illnesses and they were going to be released and they were going to get better So he claimed that they were mercy killings, and he also said in an interview that he thought that people aren't suffering anymore, which is why he did it, so he thought that he was helping. But all of that was dismissed, obviously. And he got sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences in March of 2006. He's serving time in New Jersey State Prison in Trenton. And the only reason he wasn't sentenced to the death penalty is because he took a plea deal and he admitted to killing 40 people and he identified them. 
but authorities believe that he could have killed up to 400, if not 1,000 oh patients. I mean, considering how many hospitals he was in. Mm-hmm. So that makes him the most prolific serial killer in American history. That's insane. Yeah, they believe 400, if not 1,000 patients he killed within a six-year period. And That's just, like, unimaginable. I know. And they opened up cases across every hospital that he worked at. Every suspicious death there was, they looked into it, if he was on staff at that time. And some of them, like, were solved and were figured out that it was him or were dismissed. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the cases, families didn't want to go through it again, so we'll just never know if it was actually him or not. Yeah. Um, But that's why it's... Only 40 have been confirmed, but it could be up to a 1,000. Um, so, That's yeah. just, I can't believe he didn't get caught sooner, like, by the police. Like, you well, know they I, even say it in the documentary. He was caught. Yeah. They would just pass him on because they didn't want the bad publicity, and they didn't He just really that. had the best luck he could ask for, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Like... The hospitals just didn't want to deal with it, which is kind of scary because... Yeah that's their job to save lives Mm -hmm. not let this man continue killing even if it's in a different hospital and you know about it like yeah that's still on and none of none of those people who swept it under the rug have been held accountable for what they did hopefully one day they will be but Mm. so yeah again the documentary is capturing a killer nurse the movie is the good nurse Mm -hmm. um The documentary is very good, and you said you watched the movie? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, so I suggest you go watch those because there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes into this. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, my case, on the other hand, is not a murderer. I'll just start with who he was. His name was Thomas Hicks, and he had lost his medical license in Tennessee where he lived because he was selling drugs. Um, so even though he lost his license in Tennessee, he just crossed state lines into Georgia and opened up a clinic for, um, like for giving birth, for like prenatal care, stuff like that. And it was only two blocks from his home, but because it was across state lines, like it it went under the radar. Um, this, his crimes took place in the forties to the sixties in McKaysville, Georgia, He was respected in the town because he offered affordable medical attention and the families in the town were very poor. But people in town also said that he seemed to lead a double life. Like they knew something was off about him, but they didn't want to question the medical attention they were getting. Mm -hmm. He advertised that he would perform abortions, but convinced many women who came in not to abort their babies and then when they gave birth to their babies would sell them. Oh. Yeah, and he also apparently performed some abortions without the um patient's knowledge like he wouldn't tell them he would just put them under perform the abortion and say they miscarried that's awful and and other times he would put them under have them give birth sell the baby out the back door and tell them that they miscarried or it was stillborn um so he sold over 200 babies their prices ranged from 800 to a thousand dollars and he sold to families who claimed they couldn't afford to adopt legally which um to my knowledge, 
everyone can adopt legally unless you have a bad background of abuse like mm. if you have abused children or if you have a background of alcohol abuse or drug abuse then you if can. you adopt through foster care yes but if they were adopting through like adoption agencies i think that's what they couldn't afford oh okay. but it would have been a, it. yeah it would have okay. been a much easier route to just go through foster care okay but so affording it was was the main the, supposedly okay so yeah yeah um and it was mostly um couples who couldn't conceive and that's kind of what like drove them to this level of being able to do this but i don't think that they were aware just how shady he went about this i don't think they knew that the mothers didn't know that was my next question if these couples buying the babies knew that they were taken they knew that they were taken but i think they were under the impression that the mothers were okay with it like it was single unwed mothers in the 40s to the 60s so they didn't want to have these babies yeah and some of them that was the case that they did want them up for adoption but they didn't mean out the back door they meant like through an actual agency um you might ask how he convinced these women to sell their babies um he didn't convince them like I said before, some he lied to and told them he performed an abortion, and then others he claimed they were stillborn or died during birth. More The second one more so when they didn't want to have the abortion, when they either did want to have um, the baby and keep the baby, or they wanted to have the baby and give it up for adoption. He just said that they were stillborn or they miscarried, but it still was so late in the pregnancy that... Yeah. But parents from out of town who wanted to adopt, in air quotes drove up to the back door and the babies were handed to them wrapped in blankets still covered in dried blood like they didn't clean the babies they didn't clothe the babies well how do you how do you receive a child like that and not think that something was suspicious about this i mean honestly back then people really just didn't think how evil people could be I think that's yeah, why a that's lot a of crimes, point. a lot of people got away with so much. Yeah. Back in, like, people in the forties, fifties, sixties. Yeah, people were just so trusting. They were like, "Oh, this is a you know a respected doctor of this town," or honestly, maybe they just didn't care. They were like, "I have a baby now. I finally have if a baby." They were that desperate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what he would do was Hicks would make fake birth certificates for each baby and name the adoptive parents as the biological parents. Meaning there is no record anywhere of the biological parents of these 200 kids. 200? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, So in 1964, Hicks was arrested, but it was for performing an abortion, not for any of the crime selling. So they didn't realize? They didn't figure it out. Um, Wow. So he gave up his medical license, but didn't go to jail or anything. He just gave it up. Um, and despite being su- shut down, he was man- he did manage to sell one last baby through his back door, sometimes through the window as well, just to the car. Wow. Um, so it wasn't discovered what he did until 1997. Like, just nobody in the town talked about him. The, the thing shut down, and he was no longer talked about. The clinic... They didn't mention it. They didn't bring it up. The families who adopted these children, adopted, yeah. did not tell their children. They, I mean, some didn't know they were adopted. Some did know, mm-hmm. but just didn't know how, how they yeah. were adopted. Um, he was disco- 
discovered, his crimes were discovered because of a woman named Jane Blasio. She found out her parents bought her from Hicks's clinic um, because her dad, her adoptive dad, on his like deathbed told her. Wow. She knew from like age six that she was adopted, but she never knew how. How old was she at this point? Do you know? Um, in her twenties. She was in wow. her twenties. I know that's a really long time. He went a really long time without being found out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could have been longer than that because she, she if she didn't find out, it probably kid. would have been longer. So she, you know, blew open what Hicks had been doing all, for over twenty years. And he'd gotten away with it entirely until she found out because of her father. I, honestly, thank God her fa- father finally told her. Yeah. Because so many parents probably never would have and no one would have ever found out about this. So she began searching for her biological mother when she was 27. And she found hundreds of ca- of county birth records that indicated she was one of hundreds of stolen babies known as Hicks babies. Um, if you search up Hicks ba- babies on Google, a bunch of information and articles will come up on this because that's like what they're all known as. So because he kept no record of the biological mothers, the only way for the babies or the children now or adults now, honestly, to find their biological families was through DNA testing. Only 50 of the 200 presumed victims have been found oh. and only about 15 have found their biological families. Blasio did find her biological mother, but by the time she did, she was dead because That's it was so, so much later. And does she know if her mom actually wanted to give her up? No, because no one in the town would talk about it. Like, she went door to door. At, like, this is how she was, like, in get, investigating it. She went door to door asking questions for people. They just didn't want to tell her. They didn't want to talk about it. They were like, this isn't, we don't talk about this. Wow, that's so sad. Mm-hmm. So since she found out, Blasio has dedicated her life to helping Hicks babies be identified and find their biological families. So she's like set up a program, and she's the reason those fifteen people have found their families. Wow. Um, and Hicks did not face any repercussions for his crimes because he died of leukemia in nineteen seventy-two, twenty something years before he was discovered. Oh, so he he just got away completely. Mm-hmm. And his wife, by that point, and his son were also dead, so you couldn't ask them any questions. He, the only person he had living was um, a daughter and a granddaughter, but they didn't know anything about it. They were young during the time. So he kept it a secret from his entire family, too. I mean, it's hard to say if he told his wife or not, because she yeah. also was dead. But I'm assuming he wouldn't have told his kids that. Yeah. Um, and there were two other women involved, the secretary and a nurse, who signed off on all the... Um, birth certificates but they both also died before it was ever discovered oh so all of them got away yep they all they all got away (laughs) that's so frustrating especially for the victims like there's no closure for them and so many of these victims don't even know they're victims that's the worst thing yeah because there's 200 of them and i mean by this point some of them have probably passed away or their parents have passed away so even if they find out i mean born in the 40s yeah yeah like even if they found out that they were one of these Mm -hmm. babies their parents are probably not alive yeah and um biological or adoptive once again air quotes because they did not adopt they bought a baby no and the reason that uh they were able to identify these babies was because they looked through all the birth certificates that came out of his clinic and they basically identified all the ones that were randomly out of state like nowhere nearby like someone from new jersey like they would drive into town 
expecting the time of the murder, and also they would be registered, or not murder. <laughs> Why did I say murder? Because I was just talking about it for a really long time. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, at the time of birth, <laughs> kind of the opposite. Um, and they would be registered as patients, so he would um, have like their names as patients. So they're like, why are these all, all these random women from random different Out states state, here? Exactly. Yeah, um, but it's just impossible to track down all these people who don't know who some might not even know they're adopted yeah and growing up with these people who were you know many of them were loving parents like they were good parents to them so why would you even think to question did they steal me did they buy me yeah because when you grow up thinking someone is your parent or you know being raised by someone you would never think that they would do that which is part of the reason it's so hard to identify these victims yeah yeah because none of them I mean no one's probably like oh, well, that would explain this. I must be mm-hmm. one of these babies. Yeah, the only way to do it is DNA testing. That's yeah. really, truly, truly the only way to identify them all. Yeah, and you and can't test everyone. You yeah. have to have at least some suspicion that a person mm-hmm. might be adopted. Yeah, so there's just... Well, adopted. Bomb. Yeah. That's just the saddest part about this case. Just There's just no closure for any of yeah, them. Yeah, that's, that's really yeah. sad. I think Blasio is getting a lot of closure through helping other people, but mm-hmm. she doesn't have because she wasn't able to get any for herself because by the time she found finally found her mom, she was dead. Yeah. What about her dad or like siblings? Or? Uh her mother was one of the single unwed mothers, so the dad was not known at all. And there was no siblings or grandparent. Well, grandparents. Not that she found. No um, there is also a show, a show, a mini series about three episodes that are an hour long called Taken at Birth. It's on Hulu. It's okay, a very I good show. Yeah. Um, and it really focuses on Blasio and what she's doing to help people find these victims. Yeah. And you'll see in the show them going door to door asking people questions and they just do not want to talk about it. That's crazy. It's like they. It's like the hospital. Same thing, they, sweeping it under the rug. Yeah, they know that something is wrong. They know that someone has done something wrong, but they don't want to deal with the the consequences or yeah. the publicity. Mm-hmm. It's not their problem, once again. Yeah. It's just, just a selfish mind. Yeah. Yeah, mind. What am I trying to think of? Mentality. <laughs> selfish mentality. Okay. Wow. That's really sad. Mm-hmm. Especially since I, if they had found out sooner, like if someone had found out sooner. Like in the 70s. Yeah, because 20 years, yeah, that's really, mm-hmm. that's really hard. Wow. Wow. All right. Wow. That's just the word of the day. Wow for both of these cases. Yeah. These are both really big. I didn't realize that you had so many victims. Mm-hmm. It's kind and of there weird. could be more. Truthfully, yeah. they just don't know. Yeah, there and could And they be. probably never will, just like in your case. Yeah. that's We both picked similar cases. Mm-hmm. I suggest watching both of... That was a movie? It was a, a series, a miniseries. Yeah, I would watch the miniseries, and I would watch the movie and the documentary mm-hmm. for my case, because these are huge. And, and there's just so much information on all of them that we couldn't possibly... Yeah regurgitate it all here for you cover it in 30 minutes (laughs) well i think that wraps up this episode yeah thanks for listening Mm -hmm. and don't forget to follow us on instagram it is behind underscore the crime 
yeah um we'll be posting hopefully in another week or another two weeks yeah and maybe some stuff in between like we might post some of the sources we use we might post recommendations of books or shows yeah so definitely follow us on instagram we'll, yeah we'll be very active Yeah, we'll be active uh probably posting on our story a lot more than yes actual feed post but yeah thank you guys for listening yep see you in about two weeks bye